Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, Blog Talk Radio. We wish you greetings at this time. Jesus is the reason for the season. My name is Brother Plum with Evangelist Clay. We're here with God's sacred word. We want to welcome you to the program and truly enjoy. Let me open in a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, truly, we just thank you and we love you. We ask to God that you would just touch the hearts of those in re- who receive this word today and just let it be a blessing to them, dear God, and just let your will be done in their lives as you are in ours. And we just know, dear God, that you are truly the leader of us all, and we just give you all the praise and all the glory. And just let your precious word be presented and received in these most precious time. In Jesus' name we do pray. We're here to present the word to you this morning. We have Clay, as Evangelist Clay to present to you 1 Corinthians 5 through 7, and I'll do, I mean 6 through 7, and I'll do 8 through 11. This time I present to you Evangelist 1, the Clay. Hello, Black Talk listeners. I'm your hostess, Evangelist Wanda Clay, along with co-host Brother Palm. First, before we start our Bible study, we want to praise and thank God for guiding us through his word. And we also want to thank our manager, Minister Joel Lewis and Granny's Place, for the opportunity of allowing us to be on the air with this radio talk show. And as always, we welcome you to join our God's Sacred Word Bible Study Group on Facebook at www.facebook.com. Peace, keep God first, where you'll find questions and answers to this God's Sacred Word uh, Radio Bible Study. And there on Facebook, you could post questions and comments. And if you enjoy our show, please feel free to comment. Now for our lesson, which is in 1 Corinthians, chapters 6 through 11. And in chapter 6, here the Apostle Paul writes the letter criticizing the Corinthian church for going to the law concerning one another with small matters before heathen judges, and they didn't solve it among themselves with Christians and saints in this profession. Paul's point is, if they would handle their own affairs, this would prevent lawsuits and put an end to quarrels and litigation, but no, they bought the matter before heathen judges, the unjust and unbelievers, and not before saints. But they pretended to be children of wisdom and the followers of the Lamb, which is the meek and lowly Jesus, who is the Prince. He told them, the law is good. If a man uses it lawfully in matters of great damage to their sales families, they could use lawful means to right themselves. But one brother takes another brother to the same church before a heathen judge who didn't believe in Christ with small matters 
that they could solve among themselves was a no-no, which is written in verse 6. And he told them that these weren't signs of peace and good understanding and that the bonds of fraternal love had been broken by a brother offended. And Christians shouldn't contend with one another in that way, that they should be brothering of peace and of a forgiving temper. So he asked them a shocking question. He asked them, did they know that saints would judge the world and angels, written in verse 3, and that it was a dishonor to their Christian character, a forgetting of their real deity as saints, for them to carry little matters about things of life before heathen magistrates when they were to judge the world, but they couldn't even handle matters among themselves, let alone judge the world. Will we as Christians be able to judge with a pure heart when we're in glory? Do we love our brother as ourselves? And then in verses 9 through 11, Paul flips the script, and he warns them against their many gross sins which they had formerly been addicted. So he tells them in a way that even an ignorant person can understand this, that sinners will not inherit the kingdom of God and shall not be owned as true members of his church on earth, nor admitted as glorious members of the church in heaven. And he writes, that all unrighteousness, actual sin committed deliberately and not repented of, shuts us out of the kingdom of heaven. Those who knew anything of religion must know that heaven could not be intended for acts of sin and that the scum of the earth are no way fit to fill the heavenly mansion. Those who do the devil's work had never received God's wages, uh, just the wages of sin, which is written in Romans 6 and 23. Yet he warns us to not be deceived, that men are very much inclined to flatter themselves that God is one of us and that we may live in sin and yet die in Christ, that we may lead the life of the devil's children and yet go to heaven with the children of God. And he tells them that this is all a gross mistake. And he reminds them of the change the gospel and the grace of God had made in them. And then in verse 12 to the end of the chapter, he flips the script again, and he cautions them against the abuse of their liberty, patience, with various arguments, and in verses 12 through 20, he tells them that the liberty to the sin of fornication might be allowed by the Corinthian law, but it was a trespass upon the law of nature and utterly unbecoming to a Christian. And his argument against fornication seems very natural that the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, 
and the Lord's for the body, which is in verse 13. And he tells them that meat and the belly are for one another, but not so for Cation and the body. And the fifth argument against this sin is that the bodies of Christians are the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in them, and uh, which they have of God. In short, he's telling them that our bodies are made for God. They were purchased for him. If we are Christians, indeed we are yielded to him, and he inhabits and occupies them by his spirit, so that our bodies are not our own, but they're God's. And the question was put, shall we desecrate temples, fathers, uh, prostituted, and offer it up to the youth in service of a harlot? And he wrote to them and told them that this is robbing God in the worst sense. The temple of the Holy Ghost must be kept clean. Our bodies must be kept as his, who they are, and fit for his use and residence. And he made both of us. He bought us both, and therefore both belong to him and should be used and employed for him, and therefore should not be defiled and prostituted by us. And he says that we must look on our whole selves as holy to the Lord and must use our bodies as property which belongs to him and is sacrificed to his use and service. And we are to honor him with our bodies and spirit which are his, and therefore surely must abstain from fornication, and not only from the outward act, but from the adultery of the heart, as our Lord calls it in Matthew 5 and 28. Body and spirit are to be kept clean, that God may be honored by both. But God is dishonored when either is defiled by sin. Therefore, he tells occasion and everything, and to use our bodies for the glory and the service of of our Lord and Maker. And he tells us that we are not owners of ourselves, nor have power over ourselves, and therefore should not use ourselves according to our own pleasure, but according to his will and for his glory, whose we are and whom we should serve, which is written in Acts 27 and 23. And then we go on to chapter 7, where the apostle answers some cases proposed to him by the Corinthians about marriage. And he writes to them that marriage was appointed as a remedy against fornication, and therefore it's better for a person to marry than to burn, which is written in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 9. And he gives directions to those who have married, excuse me, to continue together And though they may have an unbelieving relative, unless the unbeliever part, a Christian would not be in bondage, which is written in 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 16. And he goes on to write that 
Moses' law did permit divorce, and there was this instance in the Jewish state where the people were obligated to put away their adulterous wives, which is written in Ezra edition, in marriage is so important the matter that it ought to be made at the careful consideration of circumstances and probable grounds, and that it would be an advantage in our spiritual concerns when uh, persons are guided by the fear and the law of God and act in dependence on the providence of God and the change in choice of a new mate, that in our choices of relationships and change of conditions, we should always have an eye to God because marriages are more likely to have God's blessing only when they're made in the Lord. And in verse 39 through 40, to the widow, and says, as long as the husband liveth, the wife is bound by the law, confined to one husband, and bound to continue and cohabitate with him. And that marriage is a contract for life, and only death should annul the bond. But with the husband being dead, she's free to marry whom she will. And he says in First uh, Corinthians 7, 9 through 10 to the unmarried and widows that it is good for them if they can stay single, but if they can't, get married. Well, it's better to marry than to burn. This is God's remedy for lust. And in general, he tells them that marriage by God's command is for life. And therefore, those who are married shouldn't think of separation although second marriages are not unlawful. Now, Brother Plum is going to come and give you the rest of the story. Thank you, Evangelist Clay, for a general overview of chapters 6 and 7. I'll bring to you 8 through 11. I said chapter 8 emphasized the point, well, I said talking about food offered to idols. But in your letter, you asked me about food offered to idols. All of us know something about the subject, but knowledge makes us proud of ourselves, while love makes us helpful to others. In fact, people who think they know so much don't know anything at all, but God has no doubt about who loves him. Even though food is offered to idols, we know that none of the idols in this world are alive. After all, there is only one God. Many things in heaven and on earth are called gods and lords, but none of them really are gods or lords. We have only one God, and he is the Father. He created everything, and we live for him. Jesus Christ is our only Lord. Everything made by him and by him Life was given to us. Not everyone knows these things. In fact, many people have grown up with the belief that idols have life in them. So when they eat meat offered to idols, they are bothered by a weak conscience. But food doesn't bring us any closer to God. We are no worse off if we don't eat, and we are no better off if we do. 
Don't cause a problem for someone with a weak conscience just because you have the right to eat anything. You know all this, and so it doesn't bother you in the temple of an idol. But suppose a person with a weak conscience sees you and decides to eat food that has been offered to idols. Then what you know has destroyed someone's Christ died for. When you sin by hurting a follower with a weak conscience, you sin against Christ. So if, if, if I hurt one of the Lord's followers by what I eat, I will never eat meat as long as I live. This was a choice that he made. And I said, chapter 9 comes in and says, the right of the apostles. I said, they gave them certain rights to do certain things. But as you say, he was still in submission to the will of God. He says, I am free. I am all, I am an apostle. I have seen the Lord Jesus and have led you to have faith in him. Others may think that I am not an apostle, but you are proof that I am an apostle to you. When people question me, I tell them that Barnabas and I have the right to our food and drink. We each have the right to marry one of the Lord's followers and to her along with us, just as the other apostles and the Lord's brother and Peter did. Are we the only ones who have to support ourselves by working at another job? Do soldiers pay their own salaries? Don't people who raise grapes eat some of what they grow? Don't shepherds like milk from their own goats? I am not saying this on my own authority. The law of Moses tells us not to muzzle an ox when he is grinding grain. But was God concerned about an ox? No, he wasn't. He was talking about us. This was written in the scripture so that all who plow and all who grind the grain would look forward to sharing it in the harvest. When we told the message to you, it was like planting spiritual seed. So we have the right to accept material things as our harvest from you. Others have the right to do this. We have an even greater right, but we haven't used that right of ours. We are willing to put up with anything to keep from causing trouble for the message about Christ. Don't you know that people who work in the temple make their living from what is brought to the temple? Don't you know that the person who serves at the altar is given part of what is offered? In the same way, the Lord wants everyone to preach the good news and make a living from preaching his, this message. But I have never used these privileges of mine. I am not writing this because I want to start now. I would rather die than have someone rob me of the right to take pride in this. I don't have the reason to brag about preaching the good news. Preaching is something God told me to do. 
And if I don't do it, I am doomed. If I preach about I want to, if I preach because I want to, I would be paid. But even if I don't want to, it is still something God has sent me to do. What pay am I given? It is a chance to preach the good news free of charge and not to use a privilege that or that or mine because I am a preacher. I am not anyone's slave, but I have become a slave to everyone so that I can win as many people as possible. When I am with the Jews, I live like the Jews to win Jews. They are ruled by the law of Moses, and I am not. But I live by the law to win them. And when I am with people who are not ruled by the law, I forget about the law to win them. I never really forget about the law of God. In fact, I am ruled by the law of Christ. When I am with people whose faith is weak, I live as they do to win them. I do everything I can to win everyone I possibly can. I do all this for the good news because I want to share in its blessing that you have a race and a fight. So you know that many runners enter a race, but only one wins the prize. So run to win. Athletes work hard to win a crown that cannot last, but we do it for the crown that will last forever. I don't run without a goal. And I don't box by beating my fist in the air. I keep my body under control and make it my slave so I won't lose out after telling the good news to others. So don't worship idols. Here again, we have a tendency in this day and time to make everything an idol. As I said, these are non-inanimate objects most of the time, friends. I want to remind you that all of our ancestors walked under the cloud and went through the sea. This was like being baptized and becoming followers of Moses. All of them also ate of the same spiritual food and drank of the same spiritual drink, followed them, the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ, but most of them did not please God, so they died. And, were, and their bodies were scattered all over the desert. What happened to them is a warning to keep us from wanting to do the same evil thing. They worship idols, just as the scripture says. The people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up and danced around. So don't worship idols. Some of those people did shameful things, and in singing, in a single day, about 23,000 of them died. Don't be shameful. Don't do shameful things than they did, and don't try to test Christ, as some of them did and were later bitten by poisonous snakes. Don't even grumble, and some of them did, and were killed by destroying angels. These things happened to them as a warning to us. All this was written in the scriptures and teaches us 
who lives in these last days. Said here again, it's just all about worshiping those idols. Said these are nothing things. And as you say, we always honor God. Said we know that He is our Savior and He died for our sins. And this is what we have to do. Give him all the praise and give him all the honor. And I say, it says, if an unbeliever invites you to dinner and you want to go, then go. Eat whatever you have served. I said, don't go about questioning as to where it comes from or how he got it or this kind of thing. Because they say, this doesn't do any good at all. It just makes the weak Christian something that he really, he or she doesn't really want to do. But as I say, but we are to be strong. If it calls a weak Christian to sin, we will stray away from it. And as I say, chapter 11 deals with the rules of worship. And as I say, it's just all about, as I say, the Lord's Supper. We, uh, we indulge in the Lord's Supper. I say once a week, once a month, uh, once every two weeks. It all depends on, you know, whatever the church dictates in your particular area. But as I say, we are to cleanse our, well, I said, we are to confess all sins and come to come to the Lord's Supper with a clean heart. And as I say, that's why we must examine ourselves as we eat and drink. If you fail to understand that if you are the body of the Lord, you will condemn yourselves by the way you eat and drink. Sit here again, this is always a test. You can want to come with a clean heart. That's why many of you are sick or weak or why a lot of you are dead. I mean, some of you are dead because they say they came with an unclean heart, unconfessed sins and this kind of thing. And as a consequence, they died. And they say that should give you a closer sense that you examine yourself before you partake in the Lord's Supper to make sure that you are that you have confessed all your old sins and you're ready to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I say, the Lord's Supper, as I say, is a great communion. It's something that we do as often as we, you know, attend. But as I say, every church has its rules and regulations as to when and where they receive. But anyway, that's chapter 11. It just specifies particularly about the Lord's Supper. And I said, we want to thank you for your time and your indulgence. And let me close in prayer and allow Evangelist Clay to close the evening. Our Father and our God, truly, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for this effort that we put forward to share your truth, dear God. We just ask that you just touch the hearts of the listening audience that they might receive your truth and just be that obedient servant that you call them to be. In this day and time, in this state of unrest, dear God, we just ask for your peace, knowing that you give a peace that's beyond all understanding. We just ask for the healing strength of these physical bodies, dear God, knowing that the flu and allergies and all these other elements around is taken away from us, but we know that you are the great physician, and we just give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' precious name, we do pray. Evangelist Clay, will you give the closing remarks? Yes. I pray that we've said something that will lead you closer to God, and I want to remind you to check us out on our Facebook 
at www.facebook.com. Peace. Keep God first. Bye. Have a good evening and God bless.